Podcast fans, are you ready? Are you ready? Then for the thousands in attendance and the millions watching from around the world, let's get rid of... Ladies and gentlemen, we regret to inform you that Patrick has been arrested for copyright infringement. So carry on then with whatever this is. My name is Patrick Nugent. On June 23rd, 2019, I started walking with Jesus. Come hear my story and the story of so many others whose lives have been changed by their walks with Him. Come walk with us. Oh, it's a podcast. Don't forget to like, rate and review and share with your friends. Uh, I am so happy to be sitting here again with Ben Nugent. We are actually in the Navigator headquarters in Colorado Springs, Colorado. Ben and I are brothers. We've grown up our whole lives together. And so in the first episode, I kind of took for granted that I know a lot of Ben's story. And so as people have heard the first episode and listened to to, to the first uh, sessions that Ben and I had, several people have said, we want to know more about how Ben came to Christ, not, not the walk since, which, you know, is, is incredibly intriguing to everybody. And everyone has lots of questions about that, but, but also just kind of a little bit more about it. So I'm going to let you just kind of turn it over to you and just kind of let you tell your, give your testimony. Sure. Yeah. Well, I was working at Little Caesars Pizza in the west side suburbs of Chicago. So I remember being 16, 17 years old and just utterly and totally angry and feeling alone. Mom and dad were divorced. Dad was living in Florida and by this time was remarried. And I just remember thinking like, okay, that's it. Any hope that I did have of mom and dad getting back together, I don't know how much there was, but... (laughs) It was long gone by then now that he was remarried, and I just remember being going through high school just feeling utterly angry and despondent toward the world. You know, you probably remember my freshman year in high school, I was like sick yeah. four months yeah. with, you know, mono and uh, anxiety and all kinds of things that were just really debilitating for me. So mm. I missed so much school that freshman year. And just was so angry at the world. And I remember then going to work at Little Caesars Pizza was my first job. I think I was 17 years old. And there was a young woman there who who is a year older than me in school. So I think I was a junior. She was a senior. And we were at the same high school. And she was a Christian and came from a Christian family. And she was the daughter of one of the elders in the church. And even at that point, you know, I had never been to church before, been to like Catholic church with grandma. Yeah, what's an elder? (laughs) Yeah, like maybe once or twice. And I remember meeting Holly and, you know, as we were getting to know each other at work and school and things like that, she's like, yeah, my dad's an elder at the church. And I'm like, oh, that's cool. My dad's old too. (laughs) You know, like, I I mean, I don't know what that means. I had no framework for what that meant. Mm. And one night uh, we were working together. It was really late at night. We were the only two in the store. She was probably 18. I was 17. And a guy came into the store and he was drunk or high on something. Mm -hmm. And I remember him just starting to like swear at me and, you know, tell your mama this, your mama that, that, you know, the whole deal. And I was like, uh, no. 
I'm not dealing with this. I'm already angry. I'm already ready to get into a fight at any point in time. And the owner of the franchise of this particular Little Caesars pizza, I remember him saying to me on my first day, he's like, you know what? We don't need anybody's business that bad. If you don't like a customer, you can tell them to go to hell. And I was like, sweet. I mean, when you're an angry 17-year-old and your boss is telling you, you can just basically swear at the customers and that you don't need the customers. I'm like, this is fantastic. So I thought this was just wonderful. And, you know, just the, again, that anger just kind of welling Mm -hmm. all of the time after Mm -hmm. mom and dad's divorce. I just remember thinking like, well, if I mattered, dad wouldn't leave. If Mm -hmm. I were worth fighting for, mom and dad wouldn't get divorced. And, you know, after that, then mom was working a couple of jobs, going to school, Mm -hmm. all kinds of things going on in those years. So I felt really alone. And then you were not exactly in the healthiest place in your life at that point either. So I remember like feeling so responsible for you and feeling like, okay, if he's smoking or drinking or whatever, like that's kind of on me and I have to stop Mm -hmm. it. And uh, all of those kind of things. So I was feeling the weight of the world and and pissed about it. Yeah. All of those things. And then so then here we go, you know, years in the making, this guy comes into the store and starts swearing and blah, 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 blah. And <clears throat> he starts swearing at me and I'm like, no, I'm not taking this. So I hop the counter and we get into a fight in the lobby of the Little Caesars. And I'm standing over him and I remember, and you know, I, it was not hard to take him out. I'm physically larger than most people, been in a few fights before he was drunk or high on something. So he was, you know, really kind of an easy match there. Yeah. And I remember standing over him just with like blood and snot and tears everywhere dripping on this guy. And I'm just like all of the rage that I had felt mm. since mom and dad's divorce, all of the the aloneness, the loneliness, and just the kind of that depression was all raging out mm. at the same time. And so here I am standing over this guy thinking to myself, what have I done? Mm. What have I done? Like th- this is not the kind of person that I want to be. This is not what I want to be doing with my life. What have I done? And Holly, working in the back of the store, comes running up, calls the police. And of course, wouldn't you know it, this is the time that mom is working at the police department. And (laughs) so the police who show up, there was three of them who showed up. Two of them knew who I was because, you know, visiting mom at work or whatever. And I was going to high school with their sons. So they knew who I was. And they're like, man, you cannot handle your problems this way. We know things that are going on with your family. We know your dad's not in the picture. We know that, you know, mom is working a lot and not really like available to you. But this is not the way to handle your problems. Mm -hmm. You have got to find another way. Otherwise, next time we're going to take you in Mm -hmm. and we're going to take you in for assault. And I I remember like that actually wasn't my greatest fear. My greatest fear at that moment was, are you going to tell my mom? Who's going to tell my dad? And my dad's going to come up and like wipe the floor with me if he finds out that this stuff is happening. So I'm like, that's my greatest fear at this point. And then one of the officers said like, okay, we're not going to tell your mom, you know, like (laughs) we're going to handle this kind of man to man, like, but you better not do this again. And then I go back into the, you know, they leave, they take the guy to the drunk tank or whatever. And I remember then going back into the walk-in cooler of this place and just Mm. going in there wailing on the wall. 
and I still have scars on my knuckles from that for to this day. That was 30 years ago. And I remember then Holly beelining into that cooler right after me. And she got right into my face. She's not as tall as I am, but she was like pretty intense. She got right into my face and she goes, you have an anger problem and you need to go to church with me. And I'm like, what? And I just started kind of losing my mind on her. And I wasn't going to hit her, but I was yelling and screaming. I'm like, if you ever, you know, say stuff like that again to me, you know, <laughs> you're going to be the one on the floor. Oh, my goodness. All these terrible things. And, mm. and but she was just like, see, <laughs> you have an anger problem. And I, and I just thought to myself, like, who is this person? And if God were real, my parents wouldn't have gotten divorced. If God were real, then I would be, you know, have some sort of relationship with him already because he's real. And so over the course of months, we would see each other at school. We would work together quite a bit and we developed quite a friendship. And then we eventually started dating. And uh, but I remember one of the times before we started dating, she came into the store and she was crying. And she said to me, you know, like I broke up with my boyfriend. We'd been together for maybe two years or something like that. And me being the person that I am, I was like, oh, sweet. You broke up with your boyfriend and you're smoking hot. Uh, is that invitation to church still on the table? And, and she's like, well, of course, not having any idea of my motive. And so I was like, great. Yeah, I'll go to church with you. And so that following Sunday, I stood in the bathroom at home putting on my shirt and my tie and mom comes into the, into the hallway and she's like, what are you doing? And I'm like, I'm putting my tie on going to church. <laughs> and she kind of looked at me and chuckled and she goes, you know, there are easier ways to get girls than going to church. <laughs> and I was like, that's just so indicative of the house that we grew up in. Yeah. And, you know, just sort of the kind of the cynicism toward church and toward God and all this kind of stuff. And yeah. So I was just like, yeah, I, you know, but deep down, I knew that I was looking for something else mm -hmm. because I remember being seven years old, raking leaves with dad in the backyard, which is like a traumatic experience for me, raking leaves. I hate it. But I remember standing there with dad and asking him, why don't we go to church? And he said, well, church is for people who need a guidance system. Yep. And your mom and I are your guidance system. And when you're seven, you're like, okay, sweet. I guess I'll just w wake up on Sunday and watch cartoons yeah. and eat cereal. So yeah. it didn't. And that's what we did. Yeah. And it was great. <laughs> and it was fine. You know, like I didn't know any different. But a lot of our friends went to church. A lot of our friends were going to like catechism school mm -hmm. for the Catholic church. Some of our family was going to Catholic church. And we seemed like we were the only ones who didn't have any kind of religious yeah. life. And, uh, but then when he and mom announced that dad was moving out, when they told us that they were moving out, I remember thinking to myself, where goes my guidance system now? What yeah. happens to my guidance system now? So from age like 10 or 11 until 17 or 18, I was looking for a guidance system. Mm. Was it going to be sports? Was it going to be school? Was it going to be girls? What was it going to be? And so as mom is kind of joking with me, there are easier ways to get girls than going to church. I'm thinking, yeah, that's probably true, but I'm also looking for something yeah. and maybe I'll find it. And then, I don't know if you remember this, so they used to drive, the, their family used to drive like a 1985 Crown Victoria station wagon, right? So this is the biggest vehicle America has ever produced. <laughs> it pulls into the driveway. Mom and dad of Holly are sitting in the driver's and passenger seat, three kids in the back. And mom says to me, as they pull up into the driveway, she goes, 
Brady Bunch is here to pick you up for church. Have fun. <laughs> and I was just like, again, like so indicative mm-hmm. of the house that we grew up in. And yeah. it was just like, okay, whatever. So I go and there's these two people standing there, you know, greeters, what we call greeters in yep. church now. They're standing there and they're handing out like bulletins. I have no idea what's going on, but everybody seems to know Holly's family. Again, I don't know what elder means. Elder means leader. And so everybody knows them. It's a church of 150 or 200, so it's not huge. Everybody knows her family. And so the old couple who is greeting, they say to me, hey, are you Ben? And I'm like, uh, yeah. Why do you know my name? I'm thinking to myself, like, okay, did I beat your kid up somewhere? Did I? Were we on the same sports team somewhere that I don't remember who you are? Like, well, how do you know my name? And they said, well, we've been praying for you. We've been praying for you mm. for like six months. And we've been praying that, that, that you find what you're looking for here. And I was like, how do you know that I'm looking for something? I, uh. Like, I, I'm so naive and clueless. And I'm like, I am looking for something. This is unbelievable. <laughs> And so, but I'm also wondering, like, how do you know my name? And then, you know, it took me a little bit to figure out, like, oh, everybody knows her family. And this couple was volunteering with the youth group. So Holly was going to youth group, Mm. sharing prayer requests about this, like, heathen kid that she worked with at Little Caesars. And the angry uh, pagan kid. Yeah, 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 (laughs) the the really angry guy. And um, so they're praying for me and all this stuff. And we sit there in the church. And I had never been to a church like this before, only Catholic church up until this point, And even then only half a dozen times. And the pastor gets up there and the dude is like 147 years old. And he looks like Colonel Sanders. And he gets up there and he gives this like hellfire brimstone kind of thing. Like you must repent and all this. And I'm sitting there thinking to myself, this is the awesomest thing I have ever heard. I love this guy. And I, I mean, I was just so intrigued and enthralled. I love old guys. So I was just like, this guy is great. And then her family invited me over for lunch after church. And, uh, he, her dad said to me, you know, do you have any questions about the sermon today? And I was like, yeah, I got lots of questions. And so he would just very intentionally walk me through the Bible over lunch Mm. and her whole family is sitting there. And so eventually Holly and I started dating and it, it became a pretty unhealthy relationship. You know, we were sleeping together and it was a big hot mess. And, uh, but in the midst of all of that, I was going to church with her family every single week and every single week, her dad and mom would invite me over for lunch after church open the scriptures with me mm-hmm. and help me understand everything that I didn't know. Mm-hmm. So February 5th, 1995, I was a senior in high school. I was baptized. Her dad baptized me. And I remember, I remember telling you, Hey, I'm going to, I'm getting baptized. Do you want to come? And you're like, yeah, I mean, I guess I'll come <laughs> and support you. I don't know what you're doing. You know, <laughs> I remember telling mom and mom was like, well, you were already baptized. And I was like, yeah, I it was like a week old in the Catholic church and you don't even believe what you baptized me for. So what, I don't understand why you're kind of putting a stake in the ground on that. And she goes, well, I'll come just to make sure that it's not a cult. Yeah. And I'm like, well, how are you going to know if it's a (laughs) cult or not? Unless there's like snakes in the water. Like you won't, you don't know. And so I I just thought all those things. And I remember calling dad and dad was living in Kentucky Mm -hmm. at that point. And I called dad and I said, Hey, I'm getting baptized next week. And, and he said, okay, uh, we'll be there. So him and his wife, Nancy, our stepmom came up for my baptism. And so on February 5th, 1995, I was baptized into Christ. And, 
prayed with Holly's dad to, and he was the one who led me to Christ. And then just a few months later is I walked onto campus at Illinois State University. And two hours after I moved into my dorm, the guy, Brian, that I yep. referred to multiple times in that first episode, Brian knocked on my door two hours after I moved into the dorms. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Since then, obviously your, your faith, you know, you and I have talked about the dumbbell analogy, you know, mm-hmm. that, that you don't walk into a gym and pick up a, a hundred pound dumbbell. You walk in and pick up a five pound dumbbell and you work your way through and, you know, you bump weight. And so you, over the course of the last 30 years, your faith has grown stronger and stronger and stronger. And so I want to talk a little bit about your faith and what, how, you know, that anger, at least what I've experienced over the last three years is that the anger still exists. Yeah. It doesn't go away magically. Yeah. And, 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 and that's, I had a a pastor say to me, you know, Jesus doesn't promise an easy life. Jesus promises an easy yoke. And what you're hoping for this easy life, that's, that's not real. Yeah, It's a myth. <laughs> yeah. And, and so, so I, I guess just talk a little bit about how dealing with your anger and, or not just anger, but all of those really strong emotions, yeah. how your walk with Jesus has helped you manage that and, yeah. and keep them. I don't know. I don't want to use reined in, but, but reined in is a good that's, it's what the Bible calls for us is to, to control ourselves, I, I think. And so talk a little bit about that. Yeah, I think at first, when I first accepted Christ, I mean, I knew I was angry and mm-hmm. I knew that I was anxious. I, by nature, I'm an anxious person. I like to be in control. And when I'm not in control, I start to feel a little anxious. And uh, I think when I first became a Christian, I thought that all of that stuff did just magically go away. Mm-hmm. You know, so when I when I got involved with the navigators, the first verse that you memorize in the topical memory system is 2 Corinthians 5:17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the the old nature has died, the new has come, and the old one has passed away. And I thought to myself, okay, great. Well, all that anger, all that anxiety, that's gone. It's gone because the new self has, is here now. The, the old nature has passed away. Mm-hmm. The new nature has come. So I just thought that that was the way it was. And it really was like kind of a spiritual high for the first multiple two or three years that I was walking with Jesus. And honestly, like I didn't face that many troubles. Mm-hmm. You know, I was in college and it was going great. I was having a good time. And you know, involved with the NAVs and people were, you know, I was reading the Bible. I was doing Bible study. Uh, Holly and I broke up early in my freshman year in college. And then I met Melissa, my wife, uh, in the summer after my freshman year in college. So there was lots of things, like things were going pretty well for mm-hmm. me and growing well. So I didn't really experience that, that old anger and that old anxiety until Melissa and I got married. And we got married when I was 21. She was 22. And I look back now and I think to myself, like, what were we thinking? I was 21. I was like a three-year-old believer. You know, what was I doing getting married? But I had met the one that I was going to marry. And, Mm. you know, we're going to be married 25 years here pretty soon. So it's uh, that anger and that anxiety didn't come back. And it actually didn't come back until we came into full-time ministry, Mm. which is sort of funny. People are like, you're like in full-time ministry and you're really mad about it, you know? (laughs) And, 
and you're really like anxious about stuff. And really what it really became was that I, I was a people pleaser. I was a performance oriented kind of person and I was a perfectionist. And in ministry, all three of those things are like constantly violated. Mm -hmm. Like there's no such thing as perfect. There's always somebody else to please. There's always more to do. There's no such thing as perfect. You're never done. And so I remember the, the anxiety beginning to well back up as I mm. was in full-time ministry, ministering to college students. And the, the first, the earliest one that I remember was in 2004, Melissa and I were leading a mission trip to Russia, and I was driving a van load of college students. It was 15 college students. We were driving a van down to the airport to fly to Russia, and I had a panic attack. Mm. And I didn't know what it was. I thought mm -hmm. I was having a heart attack. Yeah. And, you know, my face froze. Mm. My hands got, like, my hands froze. My stomach hurt. I thought I was going to throw up. I was just, like, extraordinarily nervous. And so that was the first one that I remember, panic attack. I think there were more before that. But I could name it then sure. that it was panic. And so the, the anxiety was so, so high. <clears throat> and, and then really the anger didn't really come until the kids came. Mm. So we adopted both kids and you as a parent, any parent out there listening, you know, you can't control your kids. You can't, you, they will not do what you right. want them to do a hundred percent of the time. And so for me as like a control freak guy, it was like, they're never doing what I want them to do. And I lost my mind. And so just like the anger would well up. And I remember then uh, really in, it was the winter of 2008 that I was really having difficulty with being a parent. I was having, and Sam was our oldest, was a year and a half at that point and already not doing what I wanted mm -hmm. him to do. And the anxiety was high. And I remember thinking, so I got invited. This was, and this is, this triggers all of the question that you're asking is sort of a long answer to this, but I was asked to share at a conference for all of our brand new Navigator campus leaders. And I was asked to share with them how to lead a campus ministry. And I remember thinking to myself, okay, finally, the Navigators are asking me to like influence the whole of the country. It's about time. I'm awesome. You know, all this pride, all this mm. arrogance. And then shortly after that, I was like, oh, my goodness, the navigators have asked me to influence every future <laughs> campus director. This is scaring me to death. And if I get this wrong, what if I say the wrong thing? Mm. What if I what if I uh, apply a principle incorrectly? What if I tell them to do the wrong thing? What if God doesn't like the way that I'm leading campus ministry and I'm going to like reproduce it into all of these people? And then the panic set in. Mm. And as I was writing the workshop and it was you know, going to be teaching all these people, Melissa and I were going to do it together. And I remember thinking to myself, okay, good. If the thing goes bad, I can at least blame Melissa because she's <laughs> helping me. Right. So that's how, like, I was so self-protective of my image and my, my perfectionism and all of these things. And so we get to this conference and there's a hundred attendees there, brand going to be brand new campus directors. And then a bunch of other staff that I knew well, that were also teaching workshops and leading the thing and speaking at the thing. And one of the guys came up to me and he, at that time he was a regional leader. And, there, and in those days there was 12 in the whole country 
for the navigators. And he came up to me, we had never met before. And he said, Ben, I can't wait to come to your workshop. And I remember thinking, no, you can't come to my workshop because you're one of those guys that sits in rooms determining people's future. You, you can't, you, like, if I screw this up, you're going to go into that room and you're going to say, that Ben Nugent, he sucks. You can't let him do anything more. So I, the panic, it just kind of mm. welled up inside of me. Then 45 seconds later, the woman who asked me to lead that workshop, she was the associate director of our collegiate ministries, was the one who was leading this entire conference. And so she says to me, Ben, I can't wait to come to your workshop and hear what you have to say. And I'm like, no, <laughs> you can't come to my workshop because if I screw this up, you're definitely one who determines future. Mm. And then the worst one was 45 seconds later, Brian, the guy I talked about multiple times, his mom, Brian's <laughs> mom is on staff with the Navigators. And Brian's mom comes up to me and I've known her since I was a freshman in college. And she's like, mom bakes me cookies and yeah. you know all of that kind of stuff. And she comes up and she, she looks like Alice from the Brady Bunch. <laughs> and she's just like the sweetest lady on planet earth. And she says to me, Oh Ben, I'm so proud of you. I can't wait to come to your workshop and hear what you have to say. And I'm like, no, you know, just so all this panic is welling mm. up in me. I can't believe this. And then a stomach bug goes through this conference and it takes out a third or a half of everybody. Not me, but it takes out Melissa. And so I'm thinking I have to go lead this workshop by myself. And if it goes bad, it's all on me. I yeah. cannot blame Melissa. I cannot do this. And so here's really the trigger for the, how Jesus totally invaded me hmm. during this conference. I, my workshop was supposed to be on like day five of this week long deal. And one of our guys came in, he was teaching a workshop on prayer and he said, okay, I want you to go everybody in the conference. You're going to go have a half day alone with the Lord and here, you know, give you some stuff to process. And I was like, oh good. I need this. Cause I'm in trouble. You know, like I got major problems going on. My wife is sick. My son is 18 months old, running around like a crazy person. You know, like, I don't know what's going on. He's not sick, of course. Only mom is sick. And <clears throat> I remember sitting by the pool by this resort thing. Like it was a, it was wintertime and it was an indoor pool sitting there. And we were reading this article about like the inner sanctuary and how, like, where do you go where it's just you and the Lord? Mm. Where do you go where it's just you and the Lord and nobody else goes in there? And can you, like, paint, like, a visual image of this place that you and Jesus go? And I remember going, and so I'm sitting there thinking, kind of working my way, writing it down in my journal. And, I, and I've pictured this room that's uh, it's sort of a library with books all around the, the room. And it has two big picture windows that overlook a mountain lake. And in the room, there's a fireplace and there's big leather chairs, you know, that are super comfortable. And there's a coffee brewing in the corner and there's cookies on the table. It's like kind of my ideal place, right? Mm -hmm. If I were going to go be alone somewhere, this is where I would want to go be alone. And then in one area of the room, there's a table and at this table, I, and, and I've, you know, I'm sitting at this table in my mind, sitting at the table and Jesus starts speaking to me. And he says to me, you know, there's only supposed to be two chairs at this table, one for me and one for you. And this is where we go to work on your identity. 
here's your problem. You have a lot of other chairs at this table, and you have allowed for people to speak to your identity who are not me. And so he, I was just like, oh no, oh no, this is bad. So he listed most of my mentors, Mm. Jim, Brian, my friend, Mike, like he listed all these people, dad, mom, he lists all these people. And he said, you have given each one of these people a seat at your table. I am the only one who gets a seat at your table. Wow. And I'm like, Oh no. You know, I mean, I, and I, and I'm thinking to myself, you're right. You're right. So a couple of verses that really stand out to me in this, that really kind of shapes is Psalm 139. And he <laughs> says in Psalm 139, at the very end of it, mm-hmm. he says in 23 and 24, search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. The Lord put that verse, those two verses, on my heart at that moment. And I was like, okay, Lord, I'm going out on a limb here. Search me. Oh, it's uncomfortable. Know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. And so that became my prayer. And then the Lord, one by one, he had me write down every single person who had a seat at my table who Mm. shouldn't have one. And he said, now what I want you to do. And so it was just like, again, this is like this exercise in the scriptures. He says, now I want you to go and take each person's chair. And there's a door over there and you throw them out, throw the chair out. And outside of the door was this like burning lake of fire. And so like the opposite side of the room as the mountain lake, that's all <laughs> yeah. awesome. Then there's like this burning lake of fire on the other side. And so every single chair of every person that I had given voice into my identity besides mm-hmm. Jesus, because he says in Psalm 139 also, he says, I knit you together in your mother's womb. I knit you together. No one else. I knit you together in your mother's womb. All of your days are ordained by me. For you, for your name was written in the book before any of your days came to be. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. And so Psalm 139 was really the guiding area in this experience for me. And so then I threw all of these chairs out into the lake of fire. A couple of days later, I show up to my workshop and there's these people that I had given chairs at my table, right? And like, I hardly knew a couple of them and Mm. I gave them a chair at my table. And I remember going into the workshop and it became my mantra for years. This became my mantra for years was, you don't have a seat at my table. Mm. And I never said that to anybody because that'd be weird. But I would just like (laughs) think it to myself when I felt threatened. Mm-hmm. And when I felt insecure and when I felt like, oh, no, my identity's on the line, I would say to myself, he doesn't have a seat at my table or she doesn't have a seat at my table. And that began <clears throat> a two-year journey for me in processing my anger and my anxiety because I, re- I realized I was angry and anxious anytime I was out of control. Mm. And was I really okay with being out of control? So then the Lord began a process. Then the next summer, that was the winter of 0809. Then the next summer in 2009, I happened to be part of a program where all of the staff for 10 weeks, all of the staff got two half days alone with the Lord every week. So you're talking like six hours a week 
or or maybe eight or 10 hours a week, depending on the week times 10 weeks. So we're talking 80 to 100 hours here. And the Lord never freed me from Romans 1 through 8. I studied Romans 1 through 8 for the better part of 100 hours that later summer. And the Lord showed me the entire gospel, Hmm. not just the Romans 623 part for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus. Like I was down with that part. I had repented. I had confessed. I was walking with Jesus, but he also showed me several key verses that I'll share with you right now. Romans 5, 1 and Romans 8, 1 were critical verses for me in understanding who I was in Christ, not just like who I was and, you know, the angry old self or the anxious old self. So Romans 5, 1 says, therefore, since we have been justified through faith. So my understanding of the gospel was limited at this point to justification Mm -hmm. that, you know, you have been justified. Basically, you've been forgiven. You've been set right in your relationship with God. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we rejoice in the Lord, or we rejoice in the hope of the glory of Lord of the Lord. And I remember thinking to myself, uh, okay, it says, if I'm justified, I now have peace with God. I'm not experiencing peace. Those of you out there who are struggling with anxiety, the thing that you long for is peace. Those of you who are struggling with anger, the thing that you long for is the calm mm-hmm. and not the raging waters of anger. Romans 5.1, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom, Jesus, we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And I'm sitting in a McDonald's in Pigeon Forge, Tennessee, and Jesus says to me, Ben, the gospel matters just as much to you right this moment as it did February 5th, 1995, when you accepted me and got baptized. And I'm just sitting there in McDonald's crying into my tea, (laughs) like, oh my goodness, how I've read this, how many times that I've never noticed this. Mm. We stand in grace now. So the way I think about this is we tend to think of like grace as I need grace when I accept Christ. And then that's when grace applies to me. And then the rest of the time, I'm like out there on my own. Yeah. Doing my own thing, pursuing righteousness and pursuing sanctification and, you know, like grabbing on to the fruits of the spirit and really making those like my to-do list and all this kind of stuff. And Jesus is like, no, man, you stand in grace now. So it's, it's it's a room that we now stand in, in this grace. And so the way I picture it, because I am who I am, I picture that room in the Willy Wonka movie, like the original awesome one, yeah. you know, and they go into the room where everything is edible and oh. there's like the chocolate river flowing through and you can eat anything you want. Like that's how I picture the room of grace. Like this is where I want to be. And so the Lord sharing this with me that I had peace. I just wasn't experiencing peace. I could have, I had grace and I was, I just, I just wasn't experiencing grace. And so then I realized, and I think I shared this maybe in the first episode, was that what, what I began to realize at this point then was confession and repentance are always the first steps of experiencing intimacy with Jesus. So if you feel like you're not experiencing intimacy or peace or grace, confess and repent. And I, I pray that the Lord will meet you there. 
Then this last verse on this, what you're mm. asking me here is Romans 8, 1. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the spirit of life set me free from the law of sin and death. Mm. And there is no condemnation for me. And I walk around condemning myself when I'm not doing things perfectly in my own standard, of course, when I'm trying to please people or when I'm trying to perform for another person. So Romans 8.1, Romans 5.1, Psalm 39, or 139 have been absolutely instrumental in my understanding of peace and pursuing righteousness with God. Right on. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. You might not know some of that. I don't know if I've shared. No, some of that I, I've never heard that. I've never heard that story. And, and I appreciate you sharing that. Thank you. Do you ever go back to that room? Is that room a, a regular? Like, yeah, I, uh, I was ministering to college students at the University of Florida in those days. And uh, I, I would go back and I tell that story yeah. often to my students. And even now, you know, when I see people struggling with insecurities and all of those, you know, the evil peas, the people pleasing and the performance and all that. Uh, and so one of my, I was telling that story and one of the students in my ministry at UF was an art major. And he said to me, Hey, do you like it if I drew that picture for you? <laughs> so he did, he drew that picture for me. So I had it in detail written in my journal. And so he took my journal notes and drew my room. And wow. so it is a, it is a place that I go like, you know, when I'm just sitting with the Lord and it's like, okay, here we are and meeting with Jesus and, you know, Jesus and me at that table. So, right. Yeah. So you didn't, you said you were reading an article at the time. Um, and so you've built in your mind, you've built this room that, that is, is private for yeah. you and Jesus. Yeah. And obviously is that something I shouldn't say, obviously, is that something you recommend to all of us that we have a place for to share intimacy with Jesus? Yeah. I mean, and that's something, I mean, I can even, we can link to this article on, yeah, the, show notes. on the podcast and uh, it's called the inner sanctuary. And it was written by one of our leaders uh, here in the navigators who used to lead our, our national prayer ministry. Mm. And so, yes, I do recommend it. It's, it's all scripturally based for some of you out there. This might sound kind of weird and, uh, but it's all scripturally based in thinking just where, where do you go and meet with Jesus and kind of, uh, you know, where does he go to work on your identity and to kind of continue to minister to you as his son. And mm. so, um, yeah, I absolutely recommend it. No, excellent. The things that happen to you still happen to you. Yeah. Talk to me about, or talk to us about how now when you feel, when something happens that triggers an anger reaction or an anxiety reaction in that precise moment, what happens in, for you? Yeah. What happens? Yeah. Well, I mean, I'd be lying if I said I never felt anxious. Yeah, of course. Or angry, you know, like, so let's not go there. I think, I mean, you people listening need to hear, like, I've been walking with Jesus for almost 30 years and I can get anxious. Yeah. I can get angry. It just, it doesn't just all magically go away. But again, the times, the frequency and the intensity of those things has by dropped a ton over the last years. Uh, with anxiety, uh, there are things that, you know, like I am tempted to despair mm. in my life mm. and in the ministry and things like that. Like, 
you know, kids are not easy to raise. Marriage is not always easy. Ministry is very rarely easy. Um, and so it's I, when I'm tempted to, to go into an anxious kind of mindset or something like that, I do, I pray some of those classic verses, Philippians four, six being like, man, that is on top of my list. Do yeah. not be anxious about anything, but in everything, you know, present your requests to God. And so then first Peter five, seven says, cast all your anxiety on me because I care for you. And what the word cast means there, it means to hurl. It means to like forcefully throw. And so like I have this picture in my head, like I'm throwing a fastball 90 miles an hour. That's all of my anxiety, like thrown at Jesus. And he's like, yeah, finally you're throwing it to me. And Hmm. so for, for in those anxious moments, I pray first Peter five, seven Philippians four, six. Um, there are other verses too. You can, you know, you can just look them up and Google them if you want, but um, th- those are some great verses on the anger side. I continually go, uh, and again, this, I actually still today, the anger is probably more strong than the anxiety part. Um, but I think, I think that that's okay in the sense that J- Jesus is still processing these things. So I don't want to justify my anger, but James one nineteen really and 20 has really helped me over the years my dear brothers take note of this when the bible says take note of this maybe we should take note of this so james says take note of this everyone should be quick to listen slow to speak and slow to become angry for man's anger does not bring about the righteous life that god desires and that is true in your own self like my anger isn't making me more righteous and my anger is not making my kids more righteous. Mm. And so man's anger does not bring about the righteous life that, that man desires or that God desires. And so I think about that when I am tempted to become angry and not just in the moment. Cause if you think about it in the moment, you're kind of hosed from the get go. You got to kind of be, you know, you got to kind of decide like, this is sort of my demeanor. And I'm, okay, wait a minute. Man's anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. So that means the next time my kid disobeys or the next time somebody does something that makes me angry, I get cut off at the intersection or whatever. Okay, that does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. Okay, so you decide that in your moments of calm, not in your moments of being hijacked. And so I think that's part of it. And then I realized some years ago, I realized I cannot do this. Like James 1, 19 and 20, there's something in me that I can't, I can't keep it from happening. Like something is getting tripped. So I called a counselor and I just said, man, I am angry and I'm angry at my kids a lot. And I'm angry just kind of at the world a lot. So I've been seeing a counselor regularly for about seven years. Same guy. He is my hero. And, you know, he's uh, almost 70 years old and knows the life that I live and has special need kids and grandkids. So he knows the, the world that I'm in and has been in ministry for a long time. And so we, we have worked a lot through the scriptures and through, you know, just in counseling through my anger issues, through my anxiety issues and all those kind of things. So I, I'm, I'm a pretty big proponent of counseling. And pretty, you know, like, man, just call a counselor, find somebody yeah. because mental health is a real deal. It's a real battle. And, and 
I don't want anybody to be under the illusion that once you become a Christian, all those mental health things go away. They're still there. Jesus is with you in those mental health things, which makes the biggest difference. And that you are now filled with the Holy Spirit, which he can overcome those things. But we do need some, sometimes we do need some help in overcoming those. Yeah. Find somebody to help you. Yeah. So we're calling this the lightning round of questions. Uh, because we don't need to go into why. We don't need to explain. It's it's just a question and answer. What's your favorite movie? Star Wars Episode Five. Yeah. <laughs> um, what's your favorite book of the Bible? Favorite book of the Bible is Galatians. Favorite verse? 2 Corinthians 5.21. Um, what do you hope God says to you when you meet him? Well done, good and faithful servant. Good for you. Um if you could have dinner with anyone, alive or dead, who would you choose? The Apostle Paul. What's your favorite word? All. A-L-L. What's your, uh, what's your least favorite word? <laughs> uh, uh, that's a good one. That's, I'm a word guy. Um, I, don't, I, don't know if I, I don't know if I have one. If I think of it, I'll All come right. back to it. What noise or sound do you love? <laughs> Uh, the sound of the ocean crashing into the rocks. Oh, and what noise or sound do you hate? Now you have to narrow this Pretty down much to just all one. Other noises. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the the um, like crinkling of a chip bag or something like that. It make it's like fingernails on a chalkboard to me. All right. <laughs> and so then, and the final lightning round question is: If you weren't the current occupation that you have, if you weren't currently the campus ministry director for the Navigators, what do you think you'd like to do? Well, I went to college to teach high school history and coach baseball, and there are days when ministry is hard. <laughs> that, that sounds pretty awesome. Uh, yeah. So, yeah, I mean, I, I love history, and I'd probably love to teach it. Yeah, awesome. Thank you very much. I appreciate time today. Um, the last thing I'll ask is, is if, you'd, if you'd seal us up with prayer. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, Lord, we pray these truths that we have talked about and listened to today, Lord, that because we have been justified through faith, we now have peace with God and we now stand in grace. And there is no condemnation for mm -hmm. those of us who are in Christ Jesus. Lord, I pray that we would walk with a sense of freedom in you, Lord, Galatians says it is for freedom that you have been set free. And so, Lord, we want to walk in freedom with you. And so, Father, would you help us to call to mind these scriptures? Mm -hmm. Lord, would you help us to call to mind, particularly the people listening, Lord, how deep, how wide, how far that the love of Christ is. And Paul prays that for the Ephesians, Lord, and I pray that for each one listening, Lord, that we would grasp how wide, how long, how deep, and how far is the love of God for us. Lord, that you are loving and that you are kind and that you are praiseworthy and good. Mm -hmm. And you call us sinners down here, Lord. You call us your children. How great is that, Lord? We thank you that we may be called children of God mm -hmm. and we give you praise and honor and glory in the name of Jesus, the Jesus. only name under heaven by which men and women can be saved. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Yeah. Please share, rate, and review our show. Thanks for walking with us today.